well, it's really exciting. Um, I, um, I really sense that tonight is quite different. It's not a nice little story about a butterfly. Um, my mum had a hip replacement on Thursday. We went up to Napier over Easter to see her and just encourage her. And amazing, she can get a new hip, new mobility. My dad's had two major bits of surgery, and one of them was when he had bladder cancer. And they removed the whole of the bladder and made a completely new one out of his upper bowel, 13 and a half hours of microsurgery. And now he boasts that he's got a bigger bladder than other people. It's lovely. But, you know, I only know one person that can divide and do surgery between our soul and our spirit. And that's him. It's the word of God as the Holy Spirit directs it. And I really sense that tonight is about some open heart surgery. Now that might sound really heavy, but you must, when you're going in for surgery, you have to put your faith and trust in the surgeon. And God knows what he's doing. He has made us. And he has formed us, each one of us, and he knows exactly how he's made us. And he knows what's on the inside. But tonight it's going to require something from us as well because he doesn't force his way in. He asks to be invited. And when the psalmist cried out and says, you desire truth in in my inmost being. There was a hunger for truth to come. And that's what we have to do. It's open up what's in our inmost being, and we'll look at that a bit later. But are we up for this? Will we allow God to, to just come and... It's not necessarily going to be through the words I say. It's the words he says to you. So be listening because each one of us can hear his voice. We are the sheep of his pasture. And we do understand and recognize his voice. So it's surgery to divide the soul and the spirit. But you know this surgeon... He plants a treasure on the inside when he does the surgery. And that's very cool. We're going to see that. Okay, so I've called it Whose Line Is It Anyway? Because we have many, many voices clamoring at us. But there's only one voice we need to hear. And... What I'm going to talk about tonight are just three human responses 
that are found in the Bible and are found in me, have been found in me, to kingdom process and revelation. And I'm going to show you how they don't bring the life that God wants, but how there's a kingdom response. So the first one is Psalm 73. Now, some of you may know this. I'm going to do a bit of a, just a quick overview. Psalm 73 is a psalm of Asaph. And he is just letting rip. <laughs> he is envious. He's seeing people that are not following God um, prospering, and he's not. Um, he's seeing that they don't get into trouble, but he seems to get into trouble all the time. Troubles come to him, and he sees they're very proud, and he's getting himself really worked up because he's so busy comparing himself, and he's getting overwhelmed with self-pity. I think we've all been there. And verse 16 says, But when I tried to understand this, it was too great an effort for me and too painful. For my heart was aggrieved, it says in verse 21, embittered and in a state of ferment, and I was pricked in my heart. So foolish, stupid, and brutish was I, and ignorant I was a brute beast before you. And this is what happens when we try and figure things out with our natural mind. And we, we get trapped in this thing of comparative thinking, and of trying to work out how to sort our life out. I used to do it a lot when, um, especially when the children were little, I sort of had this idea that if only we had more money, I'd be able to raise the kids better. Or if I didn't have to work, I'd be one of these ideal, you know, perfect mums that knew exactly what to do with their kids, and they their kids would just be so obedient and just do everything perfectly. A and it was I was full of if onlys. If only I was. If only I did this. If it, it's because I'm not doing that. It's because I must be doing something. What am I doing wrong, God? My kids just disobeyed me. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> I used to get myself so, so worked up and in the state of a brute beast. <laughs> it just doesn't get anywhere. And I've come to realize that living in the realm of the natural mind might see the easy way, but man, it's a hard way to live. Because once you've tasted of, of living in the spirit... The natural way is really hard, hard, because you have no resource. Everything comes from self. Your, your whole perspective and frame of reference is self, and it produces this, this death, this bitterness that comes in and around us, and we're constantly trying to figure it all out. So the question I want to put to us all 
Do our thoughts, does your thoughts, do my thoughts ever dwell on comparing my life with others or wishing that I had what they have? Do I struggle with trying to make my life better? Do I struggle to understand what God's doing? I think if we're honest, we've all been there. But this is a natural human way. But in this psalm, it shows us something. And this, these are the little bits of treasure that are going to come to you. The kingdom solution is to run to God, to trust him and make him our refuge. It says in, in verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God. So he was saying it was all too painful for me, too much effort until I went into the sanctuary of God. You see, what happens in that place is that we have a complete and utter change of viewpoint. So instead of looking here around at everything, we're looking here down. And God gives us his sight. And actually everything comes into alignment. Verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And I have no delight or desire on earth besides you. Let's say that again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And I have no delight or desire on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the rock and firm strength of my heart and my portion forever. And verse 28 says, It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God and made him my refuge. See, that's the place that he designed us to live in. And it's when we're living out of that place that we malfunction. It's very simple. Peace is in that place. Rest is in that place. Perspective is in that place. Life is in that place. Love is in that place. Striving is not in that place. Effort, guilt, should is not in that place. The next one, calling the shots. Now, this is a really interesting scripture. And it's in, in Luke 7, 31. And it says, it's Jesus and he's talking to the people. But the Pharisees are right there. And they've been talking about John the Baptist. And we'll look a little bit more about that. And Jesus is addressing the Pharisees at this point. And he said, so what shall I compare this, the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like little children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another and saying, we piped to you playing wedding and you did not dance. We sang dirges and wailed playing funeral." 
and you did not weep. So he's calling them children. That's interesting. The Pharisees, they were supposed to be the real grown-up ones. They'd spent their life studying the word, studying what God was about. They were supposed to know him more than anyone else. And he's, t- he's calling them children. I think that alludes to what I talked about in the butterfly, juvenile thinking. They were obsessed with calling the shots. They complained when God didn't dance to their tune. They criticized whenever, at whatever tune God was calling. Because they expected the kingdom of God to look and function in a certain way, they missed it completely. And it's easy to say, well, that's the Pharisees. But I think it's actually about a deep-seated need to be in control. Deep down, we want to be in charge. We want to fix things and we make, make sure it's done right. So if God's going to come in a certain way, then he's got to do it this way. And then we will know what's happening and we won't feel out of control. We get obsessed with outward things and miss the whole way that God operates. And it's system-oriented without the living flow of love. God had to do a major humbling on me, um, again, in parenting. And I had to be made aware by him that I had been busy trying to change behavior so much that I'd missed the needs that were being expressed by the behavior. And this, (laughs) I can't begin to go into it, but it was a major, major thing. Because I was doing the best I knew how, but I missed it. I blew it badly. And my whole world fell apart completely. But you know, what he did in that time was he just said, you have to love. And he showed me how to love in a way I, I thought I loved. <laughs> but my love ran out real quick. And my sight was still on the outward manifestations of what I saw in behavior. And I found it really hard to love when stuff was coming back at me. But in that time, he said, You need to love. You need to keep on loving. You need to keep on planting love, small acts of kindness, words of encouragement, no matter what comes back at you. And in that time, I had to run into him. I honestly had to run into him. And if you'd asked me where I spent my time 
in my head at that time. I, I was here. This was, this was God, and this was his chest, and my ear was on his heart. I had to be there. I had to soak in his love for me. Otherwise, I would not have had love to give. And through that whole complete changing of my way of operating, relationships were restored. But you see, I thought I knew it. I thought I knew the way things were to go. I'd read the right books. I'd been told this and that by certain people. And I was just following a system without connecting with the father of all fathers for that love to be given out. There's this thing that happens when we gaze upon him. We know it happens. When we gaze upon God, we are transformed into his image. It is a natural consequence of gazing on God. But do you know what happens when we stop gazing on God? We start living up to an image. And there is no life in that. It is about performance. It is about not letting the side down. It has no life of God in it. It has no life from the Spirit. When we look at the surrounding passage, it reveals the way that God had planned for the Pharisees to enter into and understand the revelation of the kingdom. Let's look at this. Luke seven twenty nine to 30. And all the people who heard him, even the tax collectors, acknowledged the justice of God in calling them to repentance and pronouncing future wrath on the impenitent, being baptized with the baptism of John. God had always planned that John would go before and prepare the people for the kingdom of God to be established. It was always going to be through death. But it says the Pharisees and the lawyers of the Mosaic law annulled and rejected and brought to nothing God's purpose concerning themselves by refusing and not being baptized by John. So God had planned that the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers would be able to enter this kingdom. And there was a way. It was repentance. It was baptism. But they had refused. Why had they refused? Maybe it was pride. Quite possibly. Maybe it was just this blockage that it had to come in this other way that they were so fixated on. But they missed it completely missed it the Pharisees refused to humble themselves and they took the position of standing back and criticizing instead 
And that will always be the case. If we don't humble ourselves and do it his way, we'll stand and criticize God's way. When we think of baptism and the baptism of repentance, it occurs to me that we think of this as a one-off event. But I found out some really interesting things through probing a little bit more. Mr. Vine, he explains the true meaning of the word for baptism, which is baptizo, by referring to a recipe, I love that, from 200 B.C., it's using that word in contrast, in contrast to another word called bapto. And it says, the vegetable should be dipped, that's bapto, into boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution. It's not a bit about sprinkling and immersion, nothing. They're both immersing. 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 The first, though, is temporary. The second produces a permanent change. So the veggies are in pickle for life. Yeah? They're, they're in the vinegar. Have you ever thought of your baptism like that? You are immersed in the death of Christ. His death lives in you. And he is producing his life through you. Again, more study reveals these words of John's baptism, that purification rite by which men on confessing their sins were bound to spiritual reformation. Interesting. They contained, obtained the pardon of their past sins and became qualified for the benefits of the Messiah's kingdom soon to be set up. I wonder if we've come to think of baptism as something that we did instead of something that is permanently part of us, that we are permanently immersed like the veggies in their vinegar. If we are not seeing ourselves continually transformed, that's what it said, they were bound to spiritual transformation, reformation in that act. That's a continual process from then on to the day they die. If we're not seeing ourselves being continually transformed and reformed, then we have missed the reality of the kingdom within that Jesus has proclaimed. The key to entering and understanding the kingdom was repentance then, and so it is today. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle of groveling on the floor before God, but of yielding and releasing our ways and thoughts and walking humbly with him. If we continually proclaim that we understand what he's doing and have seen it all before, can I say we honestly need to release that pride and humble ourselves, or we will fall into the same trap as the Pharisees. In fact, the sign of someone who is truly seeing and hearing God is their humility. God's ways and thoughts are so beyond ours, we can't possibly figure him out. He chooses to reveal himself to us on an intimate level as we humbly and obediently walk with him.
Matthew 11:29 says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I, Jesus, am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart." How can we come in any other way if that's the heart of Jesus? And he wants us to walk in that yoking with him. So coming in humility and coming in repentance, as we've said, Greg has said a number of times, we come to him like it's with a blank piece of paper. We come as a little child. We don't come presuming that we know anything. And that heart of humility he comes to. The next one that I want to look at is camping around revelation. And this I discovered when I was looking at the whole thing of transformation because the word metamorpheo is the same word that is translated transfiguration. But something really struck me about this, and I'll just read this passage out. It's in Mark 9, 2 to 6, if you want to follow along. Mark 9 says, Six days after this, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and became resplendent in divine brightness. And his garments became glistening, intensely white, as no fuller, that is a cloth, cloth dresser or launderer on earth, could bleach them. And Elijah appeared there to them, accompanied by Moses, and they were holding a protracted conversation with Jesus. Then look happens. And Peter took up the conversation, saying, Master, it is good and suitable and beautiful for us to be here. Let us build three booths. They are like tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not really know what to say, For they were in violent fright, aghast with dread. And then what happened? A cloud threw a shadow over them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, the beloved one. Be constantly listening and obeying him. And looking around, they suddenly saw, suddenly no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus only. So walking with Jesus saw the disciples encounter so many things they had never experienced because heaven was walking out on earth. We have to realize that is normal kingdom living. If life seems humdrum and the same as it's always been there, then are we really truly walking with Jesus throughout every moment? The disciples faced so many things that blew their minds, they had to have Jesus constantly define the kingdom, which was now their world. And one big example was this encounter on the mountain. So Jesus is transformed into a heavenly form right in front of them. Everything about him was otherworldly. Okay, Even the clothes that he wore couldn't possibly have come from earth. And they were completely and utterly freaked out. The word that says they were terrified, it's exphobos. It's the, where we get the Greek word phobia. They were like majorly freaked out. 
So they have this big talk, Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And in fact, in another um, gospel, it says that they're talking about his coming sacrifice. And Jesus butts in. And he blurts out what he thinks is a great idea. And it actually would give them purpose for being there. We'll build each of you a tent. And when we read this, we think, man, that is ridiculous. How can you possibly build a, a tent that's going to um, be a, like a natural shelter for people that have just come from heaven? You know, how can you contain God? And we, but you know, this is actually a natural human response to kingdom revelation. We want to keep this wonderful thing. We want to make it stay. We want to define it and reproduce it. God turns up. How can we make that happen again? I think it was the song. We'll use the song again. I think it was the way we had the lights. We'll do that. No, I think it was the guest speaker that we had. We'll get him in again. Really? You know, it's a sad fact, but if you look at how denominations have been born, they have been born out of a new revelation. Now, this is not to knock um, denominations. Please don't take it there. But I just want to show you how this is a human tendency. Revelation that baptism really was meant to be by immersion, not the sprinkle deal, yeah? whole Baptist movement comes up on that. And then we have a revelation that the Holy Spirit has got gifts for us now, including speaking in tongues, the Pentecostal movement. Who's knocking the Pentecostal movement? It's the Baptists. So it's always the previous revelation that's camped is knocking what the new revelation is. It is just our human nature. If we're not careful, the things that God is giving us as treasures now, if we camp around them and define them, he will move on. We must realize that God does not camp. He wants people that will move with him. It's not about containing him and reproducing it. It's about him the revelation through the transfiguration was not meant to be about containing that in any way. Because what did the father do when that happened? He came immediately and he confirmed that Jesus was a son. And what was the direction? He didn't even answer the let's build a tent. He said two things. He said continually listen to my son. Continually obey my son. That sounds like an instruction for walking with, doesn't it? I've had this in my heart. This, 
this expectation that God's going to move in a certain way or do things in a certain way. And he's starting to really drill this stuff out. I, I shared, um, I think, in the last time about how God had done this incredible number on me and given me this new start. And when I came to him and asked the, the next time, I asked, well, what now? In my head, an expectation that there would be a commission. Now, go and tell this people group or go to this, whatever, do something. And he didn't give me a commission. He said, you will go where I go. You will see what I see. That is a process. That is a walking with. That is a kingdom perspective. And it's just like David Pierce said this morning. He had exactly the same thing when he was called in from the corridor. What am I going to be a church planter? This great prophet is speaking out these words. And the the man of God said, I see you are a friend of God. That's relationship. That's walking with. Do we have our eyes on that? Or do we have our eyes on what we're supposed to do? Because we will never, ever find God in what we do, but we will find what to do when we find God. You know, as I pondered this story with Peter, and I, you know, said how ridiculous he was. I looked again, though, and I thought, what happened next? Father came with this. He ignored Peter. So what was Peter's response? Do we hear of him arguing with the father about his good idea? Do we see him sulking and withdrawing because his idea was rejected? Is he complaining against Jesus because he doesn't like the way he's running the show? So I got checked in my spirit. Before you ridicule Peter, Sandra, have a look at your own heart and see how you respond if your good idea is ignored or your good idea is rejected or even rebuked. What's in your heart? You see, this heart, to submit to what God says, to be corrected and admit humbly that we don't have all the answers, is what Jesus chose to walk with and what Father is calling us to. The very things that we feel so strongly about are the things God is requiring us to let go of so that he can bring his definition into every inner place in us. This is the the process of transformation. That's what it is. So don't be surprised if you're feeling that pricking and that sense. Yeah, that's me. As with Peter, he's saying to us, this is my beloved son. Continually listen and yield and obey. 
Don't try to confine or contain or even explain what you see. It's of the spirit in heavenly realm and can't be defined. It has to be lived. Walk with me. This is what Father's saying. Walk with me, cultivating your ears to hear Holy Spirit and submit in obedience to him as he leads you. So this is what I see is the core. This is the treasure. We've seen what it's not. But the call of God is for us to walk intimately with him. And the level of intimacy, I don't think we have even imagined. But he wants us to open up. You see, we open up to him and he opens up to us. Let me show you. Psalm 51, 6 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Now those inner parts, I've got the definitions up there. You've got them? Good. So they're talking about the inner regions, the hidden recesses, the seat of the mind and thoughts. And the, the hidden part, comes from the word to stop up and obstruct, to hide, to keep secret. So there's something in us that naturally stops God getting in there. And we hide it for any number of reasons. But he wants it. And he always was designed to live there. See, that's what truth in the inmost parts is. It's actually him indwelling us in those deepest places and redefining our deepest motivations and thoughts and desires. And from that wellspring comes out everything else. Our words, our attitudes, our actions. Everything comes from this wellspring on the inside that he has to come into. He is longing to reveal himself. And this is something that he's just shown me in the last few weeks. And I was just blown away. First Corinthians 2, and it's actually 9 to 11. And it talks about no one knows the mind of a man except the spirit of the man. And then it talks about the Holy Spirit and how he searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God. And then it goes on to say, That Holy Spirit lives in us and reveals that to us. That is the desire of of Father, that his deepest thoughts would be actually known by us. And to me, that simply has blown my mind. We're talking about Father God here who created absolutely everything. 
that knows all things. I know my husband really well, but I don't know every thought that he has all the time. (laughs) And yet, Father is wanting us to know his thoughts and the deepest purposes and desires in his heart. Now, that is an intimacy on a level we don't know of on earth. And yet it's what we're made for, to walk with him. That was Adam and God in the garden, sharing everything. And there's this longing in God that is the greatest longing I have ever felt. That is calling us to this. But we need to let him into our inmost parts. See, this is his way of transforming us into the image of Jesus. It's the way that he is preparing us so that we will be pure and unsullied as a chaste virgin ready for Jesus. How can we be the bride if we don't know the heart of God? If we have got lofty thoughts still in our hearts that raise themselves up, how how can we be the bride of Christ if we don't know Christ? And if he is not formed in us, How can we work in partnership with him as he plans? We will get married. And we're not just going to be a figurine sitting next to him. He has chosen that we will walk with him and we will operate with him. This is not just going to happen in a flash when we get to heaven. I always thought it, That was it. You know, we'd see him and we'd suddenly just be perfect. (laughs) Yes, but no. Because he is preparing us now. We are being given these garments to put on now in preparation. And he is right here and the way is to walk with him every moment of every day. So this takes it out of the realm of a Christianity that you kind of tack on. That's inconceivable that the bride of Christ would have that kind of casual relationship. But you know, it is totally and utterly his desire that we don't come in and go out, that we actually walk with him every moment of every day. And this is the thing that I am finding. I used to feel sometimes God was there and I was here. But as he's doing this 
in me. And so much of it is, it's not that I'm trying to believe this and I'm standing on the word. It's submitting under him and seeking him and hungering after this. But to me, it's now inconceivable that God is there and I am here. He, he is here. I am one with him. And this is a, he is my treasure. He is my treasure. To know his thoughts is the thing that I wake up to and I want. To know God's thoughts. What are you thinking today? So you see, it's his line. It's his words we need to hear. Love me first, he's saying. He's saying, come to me. He's saying, repent. He's saying, surrender all your preconceived ideas to me. He's saying, constantly listen to me. He's saying, walk as one with me. He's saying, learn from me. He's saying, obey me. And you will know life in abundance. That is, you will have me. So he's longing to reveal these things so we will literally come to know his very thoughts, desires, and purposes. Can we come together? Can we listen for him together? Because this is not about one person. This is about his body. And he, he has so much that he wants to show us. And he's longing, longing, longing to show us. And each one of us has got that life to give to the others. But, but can we listen to him? Can we just listen to him? You are my treasure, Lord, the one my heart longs for. To know your thoughts, to hear your heart. This is my one desire. Lord God, you are our treasure. And I thank you for the love that you have for us in this passion to be known by us, to be fully known, and for us to allow you to come in and fully know us in the deepest, most intimate, hidden place. Lord, we want to come. We want to come to you and draw near. We want to surrender the stuff, the things that were so important. Because when we gaze upon you, we see how insignificant they are.
You are our refuge. You are our strength in our source. So, Lord, just as we meditate on your word and allow your Holy Spirit to touch us and speak to us, each of us individually, we want to bow our hearts. We want to bow before you and surrender. We want to draw into you and hunger after you more and more that you would have your way in us that you would come and take up permanent residence permanently, that we would be immersed in you. Thank you, Holy Spirit.